Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Um, so sorry, everyone. Um, well, li- actually, Lizzie double booked us. This is on record now, so I'm just bad, <laughs> bad mouth in her to everyone. Um, it's uh, my brother-in-law's birthday, so I've got to leave early. But obviously, you know, I don't want to miss out on what I've got to share. Um, so we'll just start uh, with a prayer. So, um, Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that you've given us this day as a gift, God. That your grace is with us, that you love us, Lord. And thank you that every day is a new opportunity to meet you in a new way, Lord. Um, and to see our lives transformed and to see this world transformed bit by bit, God. I pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning, that we would hear your heart, not just what I've got to say or any agenda that I might have, um, but that we would hear your words, Lord, and it would change us. Amen. Amen. So uh, we've been talking about Church in the Dirt for the past few weeks, which you're probably aware of. Um, And today... Um, I'm going to be talking about Church in the Dirt, but in relation to money. So we've had different kind of themes. Um, So I talked about prayer. Um, I talked about something a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember what it was now, Um, but I'm sure it was great. Um, So what I want to try and get across today, I've talked about money before, uh, probably about a year ago now. Um, This is going to be a slightly different approach to it. Um, In a nutshell, is that overall, I think as a systemic force that money is a, is a bad thing. Um, but we live in a rich country and it's very easy for us to be blind to it. I know even in a room this size there'll be a lot of different views on economics and where people sit on the kind of political spectrum. Um, so try and hear what I've got to say from a kingdom perspective, not from a political perspective. I'm not trying to get across a, a left or a right wing um, ideology here, but I'm trying to come at it from the perspective of what it looks like in the New Testament. Um, so, in, the, in this case, when we're talking about church in the dirt, I would say that money is the dirt, um, that we, as, a, as the church, for once, have little choice to, to, but to be in it. A lot of the dirt that we see around us, we can easily choose to remove ourselves from, but money is a system that, in a rich country, we have no choice but to be embroiled in. Um, and so then the question that I have is, when it comes to that, are we there in that dirt bringing healing and cleansing or are we just, for want of a better idea, um, rolling around in it and, and getting filthy in that dirt? Um, so I've got a scripture to start with from 1 Timothy, if you've got your Bibles or want to read along. Um, it's quite a well-known one. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10. It says this. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So this is Paul writing to Timothy, in a kind of, you know, mentoring way. 
obviously there must be some issues with people desiring money in the church. Um, it's pretty, I don't think, I mean, you can read that and it can come across judgmental. I don't think it's meant that way. I think this is a father talking to a son figure in a, in a straight fashion. Um, but it's not meant to be condemning. It's meant to just be, you know, some serious advice that money has that potential to become a snare. Um, and it says in there, those who desire to be rich. I think that's what the love of money means in, in, in the next part of it, when it says the love of money is the root of all evils, all kinds of evil. Um, and I was thinking about that, that idea of the desire to be rich and, and the evils that it leads to, and there are some that are very obvious, but in my life, and it's probably true for many of you, um, I can think of a lot of people I know where it feels like I've kind of lost them to money in, in one sense or another. Not that they've necessarily... Now, not that they've died, although that can happen um, if you go chasing it to a real extreme. But someone that you may be known from a young age before money becomes a thing. Um, and then they get a good job or they inherit or they decide that they want to be rich for some reason. And suddenly they become this different person. Um, and it feels like you don't really know them anymore and it, and it creates this disconnect. So I think that's, for me, that's kind of an example of this thing, of this idea of those who desire to be rich. And there's a question that of what is rich? Um, and again, it's a big question in, when we're in such a, a wealthy nation. So when is enough enough? Uh, and when is it too much? I wonder how many of us secretly have wished or, or still wish at some point that we could win the lottery. Um, does anyone know out of interest what the jackpot was on Friday? The Euro Millions jackpot? Anyone stay abreast of that sort of thing? I think it was about £128 million. Pounds, which is an insane amount of money. Um, and when you, when you hear a figure like that, you instantly, well, like for me anyway, you instantly think, what would I do with that amount of money? What could I do? You know, and, and, it, and it feels like it would be really, um, it would be a really great blessing to have. It would be a really good thing for you because you would do the right thing with it. You, know, you would give it to the poor and you know, set up a homeless shelter, whatever it is. You know, I tell myself I wouldn't let it get to me, that it wouldn't change me. Um, I promise God I'd give it all away if you just let me win um, which is just such a pointless thing isn't it if I'm going to give it all away what would be the point of winning um, other than giving it all away obviously um, well most of it obviously I'd build myself a house first um, maybe help out a few relatives and some friends maybe, maybe some of you in the church uh, and, uh, but I'd give the rest away probably I'd set up a business first though and maybe buy a holiday house, maybe a couple of cars. Um, you see how quickly it spirals. 120 million, I mean, you'd struggle to spend all of that, but then you'd quite easily want to hold on to it, I think. It makes me think of um, Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've any, you watched that or read it. And um, so the premise is there's this one ring, the one ring to rule them all, that has this ultimate, all-pervading power. And money, in a sense, is a bit like that. Um, lots of money, it has, has the potential to make you very powerful. Um, but also in terms of temptation. So in the story, everyone that comes across this ring or comes near to it, uh, regardless of their best intentions, feels this intense temptation to wear it and to wield that power for themselves. And I, I feel like money has a very similar aspect to it, that we can convince ourselves that we're okay, that we've got the best intentions with it. Um, and that having more would be good, um, and that other people that use it badly, they're just worse than us. 
um, or whatever justification we need to manufacture for ourselves. Um, and in thinking about that, uh, there's a quote I come across, I've come across from John Steinbeck, a famous author. Um, he's writing about America, but I think we can apply it to ourselves. And it says this, socialism, which is in its best ideology, the equal sharing of wealth, never took root in America because the poor see themselves not as an exploited proletariat, but as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. So proletariat is the working class, you know, people that don't have as much money. And I think you could easily apply that to most Western nations, not just America. But I think it's a really interesting concept that it's probably true for a lot of Western countries that we, we don't see ourselves as the poor or even the middle class or as the less well-off, but that we're just in a temporary state. We're actually we're on our way to something better. And so we don't see ourselves as exploited, actually, but we see ourselves as just on the lower rung of a ladder that we're climbing. And when we frame our lives in that way, we're always trying to get somewhere better. We're never content with where we're at. And that, so that sense of temporarily embarrassed, embarrassed millionaires. And the question that keeps potentially driving us of, you know, wh- when is enough going to be enough? When are we going to be content? I think it's um, a great way of summing up our problem much of the, tr- much of the time. And we have these kind of stories and pictures and images of the rich and the famous kind of pushed at us on a daily basis. And we know that they're just people and we know that actually there's no reason we couldn't be in the same position. Um, and we potentially perhaps judge them for not handling their fortunes very well. And we tell ourselves that we would do a better job. Um, it's kind of a strange form of envy. Um, but at its root is this lie that they have it better we still struggle to believe those words of Paul to Timothy, that having food and clothing with these we should be content. That's Paul's standard. That's the New Testament standard. Um, Because the truth is that people with a lot of money are trapped by it. Um, That's what Paul says to Timothy, that it's a snare. Trapped by the need to keep making it, in one sense, but more than that, trapped by the false sense of security it brings. It does bring security, money does, because it it's something that you can fall back on if you've got a lot of it. But it's security that we control. And it's completely the opposite type of security to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God isn't one of control, of grasping, of excluding people, of protection, but of openness, of vulnerability and inclusion. Money is anathema to that. I've got another scripture from Matthew 6. And these are the words of Jesus. Um, it's Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. It says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness... How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So just to explain, the lamp of the eye in that passage, you probably heard it talked about before, um, is like an idiom for generosity. So if you've got a good eye, that, that 
is saying that you're a generous person. Um, so if it says your eye is good, yeah, you're a generous person. And mammon, we, we also probably know, means money, effectively, or the god of money or wealth. And Jesus is saying we can't serve both. What does that mean to us? Well, obviously it means what it says. We can't be serving God and serving money. It's one or the other. Um, and if we, if we think that there can be a kind of... Uh, you know, a halfway point between the two, then we're kind of fooling ourselves. It is one or the other. It also reinforces that the money system and wealth, when framed in that way, is, is like a god. It calls it mammon, as because, mammon being a god, not just money. Um, and it's contrary to the kingdom of God. The money kingdom, the money system, is contrary to God's kingdom. But we're completely immersed in that culture. So from four years old we're taught in schools a curriculum that's preparing us to be the most useful in employment um, we're reminded constantly that working hard means we can get a good job later on have a good career have the best opportunities opportunities for making more money hopefully some of us also get the message that that should also be part, partly balanced with life fulfillment happiness but the bottom line is that it's money balanced with life and happiness it's not teaching us to have a good life, have a happy life. It's teaching us to make money and then hopefully have a good life with it. And if we ask ourselves, and if I ask myself honestly, um, what is what we're doing with our lives about more than money? I think sometimes the answers can be um, quite difficult for us if we're honest with ourselves. So as a kind of test, I kind of ran through this in my own mind. The living wage in this country... Um, which is more than the minimum wage in a lot of places, is £18,500 a year. Um, I don't know how much people earn in this room, but if you're in a professional job, most people would earn a fair bit more than that. Um, if you were earning that much money, would you still do what you're doing? I'm not sure that I would. There are some parts that I'd do, um, some things I believe genuinely benefit others um, and that I find joy in. There are some that I think are fundamentally good. Um, but there's also a whole lot that at best is completely meaningless and at worst is actually propagating a system that I fundamentally disagree with. Um, maybe I need to quit my job. But I don't. And the long and short of it is, it boils down to money. It's the reason that I keep doing what I'm doing. Of course, living on a small... Smaller income isn't just as simple as just deciding to do it, particularly if you've got a family, if you've got a mortgage, if you've got the trappings of life in this, in this kind of society. Um, you know, I've got bills for gas, electricity, water, telephone, internet, TV, mobile phones, insurance. Some of it I could potentially live without, but a good proportion of it can't. Um, so there is a real sense in which I'm trapped by this system, like Paul says, that it's a snare. If I want a roof over my head and over my wife's and over my kids, it has to be paid for. Whether it's rent or a mortgage, um, that bill is going to keep coming in. And if I don't pay it, then we're on the streets. <laughs> I could look for other work. Um, I could try and find something that's more fulfilling, something that's more ethically sound. And maybe I could find something that doesn't create such a conflict and that still pays reasonably. But I might need to move for that. I might need to move to a different city. I might need to retrain. I might need to still take a pay cut. Um, all of which still adds up to me, in some way, being 
controlled or trapped by this money. It's, it's controlling me. To make a different decision, I'm having to make... To, to make a different decision about the money, I'm having to make other decisions that affect me. So what can we do about that? Well, um, we can try and start moving in a bit of a different direction. Uh, it's not easy just to have a wholesale turn your life upside down overnight, particularly when you've got others to think about. Um, so just as, a, as an example personally for us, um, you'll know that Lizzie's a nurse um, and at the start of this year, kind of, well actually towards the end of last year, we were reflecting on our joint work situation and Lizzie works with dying people, um, such a pal- palliative care nurse, people at the end of their life. So while I probably spend 80 to 90% of my working day effectively making rich people's already very comfortable lives a little bit more luxurious and envy-inspiring. Um, she is with com- she was with people in their most vulnerable state at the end of their life, comforting them um, in their last moments and giving them dignity and love. Um, because we have kids, we've made the decision that we don't want to put them in nursery if we can avoid it. So we've generally taken the decision that only one of us can work full-time. Up till now, that has been me. But this year, we decided that actually we're going to try and rebalance that. So I've dropped to four days a week. And Lizzie now works one long day a week. And I think the world is a better place because of that, because I'm doing a little bit less of something that is effectively meaningless in my mind, and she's doing a little bit more of something that's very meaningful. Um, I've had to take a third pay cut for that, even though it's only one day a week which is nowhere near matched by what Lizzie earns on her one day. That's okay. We've had to tighten our belts a little bit, but we're managing. But it's a step for me in the right direction. And I ask, well, what difference does that make? It's not changing the world, um, a simple decision like that. But I think that um, in, our, in our culture, uh, you often get the advice that you know, now is the age to make sacrifices. Now's the time to put in the effort um, by which is meant sacrifice your joy, sacrifice your family, sacrifice your life, your time. Give that all up for the saking of getting ahead on that money ladder. And so in that culture, making a decision like this, I think is counter-cultural. It's subversive. Um, Every decision we make and all of our politics, everything we watch and hear and read is telling us to get more, make more, consume more, accumulate more. Uh, and in a place where our success is graded on the money we've made, you know, when you hear um, a lot of discussion about politics and the EU and which um, political party is going to be next in power, a lot of the tests are, has the economy grown? Is, is that, that's how the nation's success is graded. More people have died, but the economy has grown. More people are homeless, yeah, but the economy has grown. More children are in poverty and their parents can't afford to buy food. Yes, but the economy has grown. And that is the actual narrative of our nation over this last decade. That's the actual narrative that we're fed and we're being asked to believe in. So in that system, it is subversive to choose to take a pay cut um, for the sake of something softer, for, for well-being, for something that isn't hard cash. Um, I doubt it's going to change the world, but it might influence the thinking of a few colleagues. Maybe they'll think twice about working late. Maybe they'll be encouraged to value time with their family a little more. It might influence my own children if I get to see them more. It might influence some of you today talking about it. It's nothing heroic. I haven't quit my job and become a hermit as much as I might like to. Um, 
but I feel like it's a step and it's something that not, I'm not saying everyone needs to change their job or start working less but to start thinking about that to start asking those questions we're the church and we're in this money dirt um, let's ask these difficult questions and maybe think about making some upside down choices so I'm aware as I'm saying this there's a whole other part of the money spectrum that I'm not really talking about um, and that's the, the poverty end um, and there's a very real sense that that is dirt that we can be in as well that we can be engaged with that we can be giving to that and helping with that but what I'm trying to get across today is that the rich end is equally as dirty um, and that we often are part of the rich end even if we don't see it or believe it um, Jesus says that it's much harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of God they don't feel the need like the poor do it's much harder to get their attention our attention when our lives are full of distraction and escapism because and I'm saying we rather than they because we are rich in terms of privately held wealth this country is the fourth richest country in the world over nine trillion dollars um, that's not just that's not our GDP that's not how we're doing as a nation that's the actual people in this country um, of course not everyone in the country is rich it's mainly held by a few people um, but relative to the majority of the world actually even the homeless in this country are rich compared to the majority of the world and that sounds like a strange thing to say but when you think about it the streets in the UK are relatively to the rest of the world safe we have relatively incorrupt and publicly funded police they are relatively clean we have waste collection we have street cleaners we have regular programs of urban regeneration and resurfacing we have free health care anyone can walk into a hospital and get free treatment anytime night or day we have drainage and sewer systems um, that take that all away all, all the rainwater away without flooding most of the time and also take human waste away for safe treatment so things stay healthy we have separate clean water supplies not just the local river which whilst taps aren't widely available on every street corner water is available for free if you want it um, by comparison in Ghana uh, where Lizzie's mum used to work um, for quite a few years none of those things can be relied on if you're on the street and have any exploitable qualities you're at great risk of being trafficked or robbed or abused the streets are mostly not clean many roads are unsurfaced drains quite often just consist of a ditch either side of a dirt track even in the capital city those ditches are used for disposing of solid waste so your rubbish from your house also from effluent from shack houses built by the side of the road side of the road and also for rainwater so you've got rubbish and human effluent and rainwater all in the same ditches and when it rains heavily they flood and all of that comes out of the ditches flows down the streets in through the doorways into houses which aren't built very well um, and obviously if you're homeless and you're sleeping on the street it's flowing through you and where you're sleeping um, as a more specific example in 2015 while Vicky was there Lizzie's mum was out there um, in the capital city of Accra so this is their most developed city their best city um, there was uh, some really heavy rain and there was in a, in a particular petrol station in Accra you might have heard of this um, there was about 100 people sheltering in the petrol station 
um, packed with cars, buses and people because they can't just drive through it when it's raining heavily because the roads aren't adequate. The roads flood and they just become like a quagmire. So they had to all congregate and shelter. Um, there was a power cut, um, which also frequently happens because they haven't got enough power stations to actually generate energy for the country. Not like our permanent in, uninterruptible supplies and free street lighting. Um, when the power cut back in, the spark set the whole petrol station on fire and killed 96 people instantly. And then to make it worse, because the petrol station wasn't built properly, because they don't have proper building standards, um, as it had rained and flooded, petrol was floating on the surface of the water and had, and had kind of floated out around the area. And so the fire set fire to the petrol on the surface of the water and just spread across the whole area and set fire to more buildings and people and killed another 160 people um, from either burning or just drowning in the panic of the fire. So I'm saying that because it's easy for us to forget how rich we are in this country. You know, all of those things that just come for free that we just take for granted. Um, in this kind of immersive money mammon culture, it's so easy to be blind to our privilege and wealth. It's so easy for us not to need God when we are already struggling just to be content with what we have. And I think it's important for us to realise that in a lot of these kind of stories, these parables, that really we are the rich man. Not to condemn us, but just to open our eyes and to ask ourselves some tough questions. So as I was preparing this and thinking about what I've just said about our recent change of work, income, situation, it also dawned on me that I was intending to make a point that we'd made a tough decision, resulted in us having less money, um, and the reality is actually we're still okay. Um, and actually by many standards, we're still quite affluent. Um, so there's, there's a bigger realisation in that, is that for probably seven years, um, you could say we've had too much. Because actually even with this pay cut, we're still okay. So I was earning more money than we needed, but we just lived within our means, drifting along in this kind of sea of consumerism, the flow of this culture. Now with less money, I kind of feel like it'd be great to have that bit of extra cash. How much extra? Probably as much as I had before about six months ago. But six months ago, I was wanting more. So what's changed? How is it that the wealth that I had six months ago wasn't enough for me, but now that's the target of my contentment? It's really quite deceptive. So I'm not suggesting anyone goes out seeking pay cuts for the sake of it. That's kind of pointless. Um, but I'm hopefully just putting a question mark over our priorities. What in our lives does money take precedent over? What is our real focus? What are we choosing and chasing? Where is our treasure? Where is our heart at? Because um, Jesus said you can't serve both God and mammon. You can't. And the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So what can we do, this, do with this? How do we extract ourselves from this world of wealth chasing? Um, I've talked about priorities. I've talked about making tough decisions, about intentionally walking against the flow, maybe in your career, maybe in the way you spend money, maybe borrow money or don't borrow money. Uh, another thing we can do is give. We can counteract the hold money has on us by giving it away and um, this is not at all a pitch for tithing or trying to increase church funds um, I do think that can be a good way of giving 
but that's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is allowing sacrificial generosity to get the better of us, giving it away when what we really want underneath is to hold on to it and to save it or to buy more stuff or to be more secure. Um, you know, can you buy someone a gift for no reason? Can you give them £10, £20? Can you buy someone shopping or pay for their fuel? Can you pay for someone's meal in a restaurant? Not just your friend or someone that you're on a date with. You can do that too, but just some random people that are there. Um, can you give to a charitable cause? Not because you've been guilt-tripped into it by someone on the street, one of those chuggers as they call them. Um, but because you're genuinely moved with compassion to do it. Can you give to a church or a similar institution? This church, any other church. Not because you've been coerced through some dodgy theology, and that's, as I say, that's not what I'm trying to do, but because you see the genuine benefit of being vulnerable and allowing someone else to make decisions about your hard, cold cash, even though you might disagree, potentially, with some of what they do with it. So I'm putting some caveats in along with that in terms of your motivation. You know, don't give to a charity because you're forced into it by someone on the street. Do it because you've got a heart of compassion because we also know that scripture says that doing those things without love makes them meaningless, makes them pointless. Um, if it's not motivated by love, then actually money and giving money can become an insulator rather than a connector, which is something Sai si was saying about a kind of a bit of a warning I suppose that Sai was giving us about prayer sometimes the other week um, you, can, you can choose to give money to actually detach you from needs rather than connecting you as a way of not having to get down and dirty with what's going on um, we can choose to give money to pacify our own anxieties or to tick the Christian box or maybe to tick the I'm going against the flow of consumerism box because of what I've said this morning, which would be ironic. Um, so if, if, if you're not, if the motivation isn't good, if it isn't love, if it isn't coming from compassion and that heartfelt desire to do it, then don't bother. The money might benefit whoever you're giving it to, um, but it's actually more important that your heart is in the right place, I think, because otherwise you'll end up still trapped in that cycle and you'll, you'll still end up taking more than you give away. Um, even if, you are, if, if you're giving it for the wrong reasons. But when you give with love and you subvert that slavery of wealth, that is love triumphing in action. That's evidence that God, who is love, is being prioritised over mammon. It's, it's you serving God, not serving mammon. It's training your soul to choose love. So the church in the dirt, when it comes to money... Um, I have a feeling that the Western Church has gotten itself very dirty, um, and I think the message of Jesus and the Gospels have been unfortunately mixed with some kind of version of capitalism, Christian capitalism. Uh, it's become very unclear, but I think the message of Jesus in the Gospels is very clear: don't chase riches, be content, trust Him. He talks about that quite often. And it sounds really simple, but it is very, very, very hard. Um, so um, I guess I'm just encouraging you to a ask some difficult questions and to maybe take a step, big or small, change something, give something, um, make it clear which God we're serving.
and that's all I have to say. So I'm just going to uh, pray to finish. God, um, again, I thank you for today, and um, I thank you that you're with us, God, and I pray that you would help us to hear what I've said um, with hearts full of grace and full of love, and knowing that none of this is said to condemn, but to empower us and to help us to turn our eyes towards you and your kingdom, God. Help us to see from your kingdom perspective um, and help us to not be ensnared by money and that system, Lord, but captivated by your kingdom and your way of doing things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Matt, did you put that there to baby chat? Like Susie? Oh, I did laugh. Yeah, Susie could be Oh, yeah. <laughs>